Our reading this morning, this evening, sorry, is from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's page 1155 in the Church Bibles. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll be starting at verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, The speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the other should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Lisa, thank you so much for for reading for us. Good evening, folks. It's good to see you all. Did you see that? That verse 34. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Last week, Shaq had a hard passage to preach. (laughs) Do you know why I didn't preach that passage last week? (laughs) Because I was on holiday. Let's pray for the Lord's help. Father, we do pray that you would help us this evening with this slightly tricky passage. Um, help us to see why this is here, why we need to hear, that, hear this truth uh, today. Hearing Ben said, Father, we pray you speak through me, pray your spirit be at work in our hearts. Call us not to be distracted by anything and cause us to, to, to love your word and to appreciate it and, want, and to want to obey it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How high would you place church order 
in your list of things that a church must have. So when you assess if a church is healthy, how quick are you to ask, is there order in this church? It's not usually the first question we ask, is it? We're more likely to ask, what's the preaching like? What's the music like? What's the small group format like? What's the children's ministry like? And these are, of course, good questions to ask. But in the last uh, four chapters in 1 Corinthians, Paul has been highlighting another question that Christians should ask. Is there order in my church? And am I contributing to order in my church? Or am I undermining it? How have we seen Paul stress uh, the importance of order in church so far? We've seen it. Uh, uh, we've seen the importance of order when it comes to gender roles, and when it comes to the practice of the Lord's Supper, and when it comes to uh, the use of spiritual gifts. With regards to our spiritual gifts, uh, are we using them in a way that is loving towards our brothers and sisters? Are we using them in a way that fosters unity? amongst our brothers and sisters? And are we using them in a way that, that edify them? Or to put it slightly differently, are we using them in a way that builds up the church? So in last week's passage, uh, Shaq spoke about the use of tongues and prophecy in church meetings. And those are gifts that Paul continues to speak about uh, in today's passage. By the way, if you're wondering what tongues and prophecy are, I do encourage you to, to go and listen uh, to Shaq's talk from last week, where he helpfully uh, explains what they each are. So I'm not going to cover that ground again uh, tonight. So throughout chapters 11 to 14, Paul has been stressing the importance of, of order in church meetings. And today he's going to wrap up uh, this section by giving us two reasons for maintaining order in church meetings. And the first, the first reason is this. Order helps build up the church. Order helps build up the church. Have a look at me at verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. When Christians meet together, Paul says they ought, they ought to do so in a way that builds up the church. Now you might be thinking, hang on a second, that's not entirely new. We saw that in last week's passage, didn't we? That was the key point of last week's passage. We ought to conduct ourselves in a way that builds up the church. What's slightly new about today's passage is this, this strong emphasis on order in church meetings and the role that it plays in building up the church. So Paul goes on to give us three examples of how the church in, in Corinth can maintain order in its meetings. Now, folks, we need to be conscious of the fact that um, the ways in which Paul tells the Corinthian church to maintain order... They're not exhaustive. So in verse 26, he, he, uh, he mentions hymns, words of instruction, revelations, tongues, or interpretations. 
So these are things that they would have been doing in the Corinthian church. But there's nothing, for example, about prayer or the Lord's Supper. But we know from chapter 11 that Paul does expect those things, or he says that those things also form part of church services. So we mustn't think that this passage that we're reading tonight is about what to include and what not to include in our church meetings. Rather, it's here to underline the need for order when we gather. So let's look at the first example Paul gives us. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. What's the first way that uh, Paul exemplifies church order? It's in, the pra- it's in how the Corinthian church practices the speaking of tongues. Now we need to remember that the Corinthian church probably thought that speaking in tongues was the coolest or most impressive gift that you could have. It seems like many were probably using this gift as a way to, to show off. Look at me, I can speak in tongues. I'm so spiritual. But Paul, he confronted this in last week's passage, didn't he? He said that prophecy, prophecy is actually better than speaking in tongues because at least people can understand what is being said and as a result be edified. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul is somehow anti-tongues. You may have noticed in in the reading uh, what he says in verse 39. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. So even though Paul gives us guardrails for for speaking in tongues, he doesn't want us to, to think that Christians who have the gift should never practice it. If you have the gift, use it. But here are the guardrails. First, we shouldn't necessarily expect church, church meetings to have, to have tongues. Do you notice what it says in verse 21? If anyone speaks in a tongue. Not when someone speaks in a tongue. If anyone speaks. Tongues are not an essential part of a church meeting. They're optional. Second, If tongues are spoken in a church, it should be done in an orderly way. So you shouldn't have loads of people uh, speaking in tongues at the same time. Rather, you should have one person at a time speaking. And if you've had three people do it, hey, that's enough. Smash the brakes and go, okay, no more people speaking in tongues tonight. Third, you must also have, you must always have an interpreter. Friends, I've been to churches uh, where people in the front were speaking in tongues, but there was no interpretation of what was said or prayed. And the thing is, without an interpreter, Paul says that the church will not be edified by those tongues. So if there's no interpreter, only pray in tongues if only you and God can hear it. That's what he says, isn't it? 
Now, here at Christchurch, as far as I'm aware, uh, we don't have any interpreters of tongues. As far as I'm aware, anyway. So, so this is one reason you probably won't see us speaking or praying in tongues from the front or encouraging people to do so during our church meetings. So if you have the gift of tongues, although I wouldn't advise you not to use it, Paul says don't forbid speaking in tongues, I would encourage you to use it privately instead of publicly. Okay, so that's, that's Paul's first example of how churches maintain order. It's use of the gift of tongues. What's the second example? Verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak. And the others should weigh carefully what he said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. As Shaq shared last week, uh, Christians have different views on what prophecy is. I want us to run with the assumption that that prophecy is the application of God's word to life. So, for instance, it's something that we do in our sermons. And it's something that we do in our Bible studies. When we meet in our small groups, we're not only trying to, um, to think about what the passage means... We're also trying to think about how it applies to our lives. In other words, reading and discussing the Bible isn't only about interpretation, it's also about application. Application, I think, is a form of prophecy. Now, sure, there might be other things that, are classif- that you could classify as prophecy too, but I think that this is one form that many Christians can agree on. So how should prophecy be done? In some ways, or quite similarly to how tongues is done, the speaking of tongues. So only one person at a time should do it. And you shouldn't do it in such a way so as to give no one else the opportunity to speak. So in a Bible study, you shouldn't be the one doing all the talking. But neither should you not do any Talking. Paul says, prophesy in turn. I remember being at a, a Christian conference recently um, in a small group discussion there where one person just answered all the questions and would just speak for ages. And it was really hard to get a word in edgeways. And if I'm honest, it felt quite frustrating. You, just, you, you couldn't speak unless you spoke over this guy. So don't be silent in Bible studies, but don't hold the floor either. And if you're thinking, actually, I don't know, do I speak too much or too little? Maybe ask your Bible study leader, hey, do you think I'd serve the group better if I spoke a bit more or if I spoke a bit less? And hopefully they'll give you a loving answer. Um, Don't panic. You know, if they say, oh, you you know, maybe you could speak a bit less, do not panic. Um, We're just thinking about how we can serve our groups. By the way, if you're part of Connect, there's no one here who speaks too much. Okay, so I don't want you to think, maybe I'll speak too much. No, no, no one has that problem at Connect. So our aim at, uh, in a Bible study or at the end of a sermon should be instruction and encouragement. As Paul says in verse 31, 
and everyone, not some, everyone should feel instructed and encouraged. So Paul's first example of order in church, the use of tongues. His second example, prophecy. And his third example is the involvement or participation of women in church meetings. And this is the one you've really been waiting for. Let's read from verse 34. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for women to speak in the church. I wonder how you describe those words. Sexist, chauvinistic, bigoted. They're pretty controversial today, aren't they? It's important that we, that we bear in mind that Paul cannot here be completely forbidding a women from speaking in church gatherings. He can't be doing that because back in chapter 11, he gave instructions about how women are to pray and prophesy in church meetings. So he can't be saying here that women must not open their mouths in church. So what does he mean? I'm going to be really honest. Uh, it's, it's so hard to know for sure. It is so hard to know for sure. I looked at, at several different commentaries, and they all speculate different things. I think the, the key words for us to bear in mind are submission and the law. Submission and the law. So back in chapter 11, Paul made the argument that uh, man is the head of woman. And he argued this based on Genesis chapter 2, where we see that Adam is the head of Eve. And Paul's point back then was that uh, male headship isn't man's idea, but God's idea. It's part of God's created order. When Paul writes in verse 34, as the law says, he's probably again alluding to Genesis 2 and, and making a similar point. So in what context should a woman not speak according to Paul? In a context that undermines male headship. In a context where submission is compromised. So a woman is allowed to speak in church gatherings. She only isn't allowed to speak in a way that undermines her submission. Now that is still super controversial today. But it's slightly less than a woman not being allowed to speak in church at all. And here's why it's still controversial. We tend to think that submission is inherently bad. And this is why, as Christians, it's so important, as Trinitarian Christians, Christians who believe in the Trinity, it's so important for us to remember that Jesus, who is God, submits to God the Father. We don't only worship God the Father, do we? 
We're not Jehovah's Witnesses. We worship Jesus too. We worship the Son. And you see, the Son, though he submits to the Father, is in no way inferior to his Father. Similarly, though women are called to to submit, they are not in any way inferior to men. Women and men are equally valued by God. They are both made in his image. And it's really important for us as Trinitarians to get this. I think it's really hard for Jehovah's Witnesses to make sense of these words and, and not conclude that women are inferior to men because they do believe that Jesus is inferior to the Father, but we do not. Now let's return to our question. In what context should a woman not speak in church? So in 1 Timothy 2, Paul says that women should not teach or have authority over men. At the very least, I think this means that a woman shouldn't preach on a Sunday and that she shouldn't lead a church or be an elder. If she were to do those things, male headship would be compromised in the church. Now, beyond that, I think it's very hard to apply verses 34 to 35 of our passage. Perhaps, perhaps, since Paul says that a woman should save her questions for her husband when they get home, it's possible that women were publicly asking church elders probing or challenging questions and thereby subverting uh, the authority of the elders. I can't say that's definitely what's happening. I'm saying it's, it's, it's a possibility. Now, by saying that, I'm not suggesting that women today cannot ask church elders or preachers questions, for example, about the content of their teaching. I think women can and probably should do that. But there, there are different ways of asking questions, right? You can ask a question that, that honors, that shows respect to the person you're asking the question to. And you can ask people questions in ways that do not do those things. You can ask someone a question in public in a way that embarrasses the person you're asking. Or you can ask them, you can take them aside and ask them that question privately, one-to-one. Perhaps a takeaway here for us is to think about how we pose questions to, to those whom God has placed in authority in the church. For example, are we always asking, um, confronting questions? Are we asking questions in a way that lacks, that shows a lack of honor towards those uh, in authority or a bit of disdain towards them? If we do those things, that's that's not really going to help build up the church, is it? Paul's been talking about building up the church, build up the church. Now, obviously, if those who are in, in, in authority in the church, if they misuse their authority, obviously you're not meant to be quiet. Then you call them to account. But assuming that that's not the case, how do we treat church leaders? I think this is a helpful question for us to think, to think about whether we're, we're men or women. 
having, having order within a church is to some extent contingent upon a healthy relationship between, between the church leaders and the church. One where there's, there's mutual love, respect, and care. To sum up what we've seen so far, we've seen that order is important um, to help build up the church. And we've seen Paul give us some examples of how a church can maintain order. But order isn't only important because it helps build the church. It's also important because of what Paul says in verse 33. Verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Brothers and sisters, why is order important? It reflects God's character. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. If church gatherings are semi-chaotic, how does that reflect on the Lord to whom the church belongs? The, The way a church conducts itself, for better or worse, reflects to the world something of what God is like. How are we as a church communicating who God is through our gatherings? If if there's a a lack of peace and order in our meetings, visitors will be put off church. Paul said in last week's passage, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Yes, they will. Church order matters. It helps build up the church, and it even reflects something of God's character. This is why we shouldn't be surprised that the Lord commands it. Ordering church meetings matters because it's commanded by the Lord. That's our second and much shorter point. Let's look at verse 36. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Since chapter 11, Paul has been instructing the Corinthians on how to conduct themselves when they gather to worship. If the Corinthians are tempted to think that Paul's instructions on, on, on church order aren't really significant that they're just Paul's idiosyncrasies, Paul tells them to think again. Order in the church isn't optional. Order isn't like cracked black pepper or guacamole. You only add it to your food if you like it. A church needs order more than your pizza needs black pepper or your burrito needs guacamole. A church needs order. It's, it's an essential ingredient. 
Now, here's the thing that I think that the Corinthians might have thought, and I think that some churches today might think as well. I think the Corinthians would have thought that the lack of order or structure within their gatherings was, was actually a good thing. They may have thought that it meant that they were, they were more spiritual. They, they were open to the supposed promptings of the Spirit. I think that's what some very, very charismatic churches today might think. Actually, we don't need too much order. Let's just be open to what the Spirit is going to do. Do we even need a sermon? Do we? But Paul says, no. God is a God of, of order, and he not only expects order, he, he commands it. So friends, let's not ignore what, uh, what is being said here. As Paul says in verse 38, if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Do you see the warning? If you ignore what God says, let's suppose because you don't like it, or you think you know better, then you'll be ignored. You'll be ignored by, by God. Well, this might seem a bit harsh, but if you reject what God says, you are effectively rejecting him as God. Instead of allowing God to call the shots, who's calling the shots? You are. So you're not living as though God is God. You're rejecting his divine authority and rule over you. So I want to close with this question. Is God God in your life? Or are you playing God? If, if you claim to be a Christian, but, but pick and choose which bits of the Bible uh, to accept, then you need to repent and ask God to, to help you submit to his word. And if you're not a Christian, when will you stop playing God and surrender your life to God's rule? When you do that, th- that is the only way you can be saved from yourself and from being ignored by God for eternity. Friends, the reason Jesus came to earth was so that we could, could go from being ignored by God to being known and loved by him. You see, Jesus took the punishment that we all deserve for our sin, for our rejection of God. And he did that so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life with God. You can have that life if you will surrender yourself to God and trust in his son, Jesus. I sincerely hope that you will consider doing that if you haven't already. And if you do, please do come and speak to me or, or speak to someone in the church and, and share that with them. We'd love to encourage you and pray with you in that. Let's close in prayer.
Father, we thank you for your word and that you speak to us through it. Forgive us for the times when maybe we think that order isn't that big a deal, it isn't that important. Uh, Your word seems to think it is important. You um, say it is important. And so, Father, we do pray that we would cherish um, and and prioritize order and think about how um, each and every one of us contributes to order in the church rather than undermine it. And Father, thank you so much that those who trust in your Son, um, as those who trust in your Son, we can know that we are are not ignored by you, um, which is what we deserve for our sin, but we are forgiven and known and loved by you. May we cherish that truth and be encouraged by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.